guys, welcome to Dear Dio. It's me, Michael Garrison. I guess Dr. Michael Garrison, I keep getting that wrong. I have to remember that I am officially a doctor now, which is pretty crazy. But anyway, so this week I have with me Dr. Meredith Herman Dio. She is amazing. I hope that you guys love her as much as I love her. She gave me the rundown on not only a little bit of her journey through pathology, but then we dive right into home buying as a physician using conventional loans versus physician loans, all of the things all of the tips. So if you enjoy this conversation, go ahead and give a five-star rating and review. It really supports this podcast. But first, all right, so this portion of the Dear Dio podcast is what I like to call the human behind the white coat. It serves as a reminder that all of us in medicine have had our own unique journey. And this week we have Dr. Meredith Herman, Dio, and incoming PGY1 pathology resident, Um, Dr. Herman received her medical degree from Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine and will be completing pathology residency at the University of Michigan. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm such a big fan of your page, of your artwork, and I'm so happy that I stumbled upon you on Instagram. I'd love to have us start by you telling the audience a little bit more about your personal journey to medicine and pathology. Wow. Thank you for that introduction. It's so nice to finally meet you over uh, over the internet. Um, I was happy to stumble across yours because DOs are kind of a small in number, and I think it's great with the outreach you're doing and the educational content you're producing. Uh, so like you said, I went to Michigan State for medical school. Uh, my journey to pathology is quite interesting, and I kind of stumbled upon it. It kind of reminds me of the interview process. You know, why, why pathology? How did you get into it? So I studied laboratory science in college at Michigan State. So I'm a Michigan resident, and I really enjoyed microscope work. I enjoyed being in the laboratory. And I thought about medical school, and I didn't realize pathology was even a thing until I met some mentors who were pathologists. They said, you know, this is actually a medical specialty. You should look into it. And so I did, and I loved it. It had everything I I was looking for. um, And I decided going into medical school, I wanted to be a pathologist, which is quite rare uh, for people to go in. Very. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, in my medical um, essays, I was like, oh, I want to do primary care. And and at the end of it, I I realized, you know, pathology is best suited for my personality and my um, interest. So going through medical school, I realized there was not much pathology exposure. Um, There was some through physiology and pathophysiology classes, um, an occasional histology picture here and there. But I was completely on my own. I didn't know who to contact. And luckily, I was able to meet a prof- the one professor we had who was a pathologist and, um, and one alumni. Uh, so that was kind of how it started. And I eventually did a uh, post-sophomore pathology fellowship. And that was a gap year I took uh, between my second and third year of medical school. And wow. basically worked as a resident. Yeah. So it's a very unique opportunity to actually get pathology exposure. Um, you are taking a year off, which is the downside, but it is a paid internship and you get to work as a resident. Um, and so that really opened my eyes and solidified my decision to go into pathology. So ever since then, I got returned to Michigan State and I said, we need to start an interest group for pathology. We need to start a community. And we have kind of you know, expanded and, you know, established a presence at the medical school and people know who to come to if they need help getting into the specialty. Uh, so that's kind of how I got into it. Um, just the short of it. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what I got. That's awesome. You know, 
I have never met anybody as passionate about pathology as you. And I mean, <laughs> we had a couple of people at my in my class choose pathology um, and were successful at it. But I always had such admiration for you guys because it is such a, a specialty that people often forget about, mm-hmm. even though it's just as important in the chain of command, kind of like you guys are bringing just as much to the table as any other um, specialty, even though you guys are doing it from behind the microscope. So I think it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and that comes down to, you know, exposure and they don't really have many, um, in medical school, there aren't very many pathologists. I mean, there are a few that are teaching, but you don't have requirements to work with a pathologist. It's not a core rotation. Um, it's very heavy on step one. I noticed, uh, we have to know it, but people know Dr. Sitar from Pathoma and that's pretty much where it ends. Uh, so I, I congratulate everyone who matched in a pathology or who chose pathology because it's you really have to go out of your way to get that exposure, but it is well worth it um, as soon as you get in the community. What was the year that you took off? What was that like and how did it kind of solidify your decision? Yeah, so the year was really it was it was a work working job. I had month to month rotations like a resident um, and I was named like a fellow. So I was still a medical student, but I worked, I took call. I did everything a resident would do. You know, each month I was on a different service. So I spent a month on autopsy and I was doing autopsies and writing up the reports. Oh my gosh. um, Doing my own cases. And that was really eye-opening. And then I would do a month on cytology. And I was going to the operating rooms and helping with the um, slides. They would, you know, ask for FNAs or they would want a smear performed. And I would go do a diff quick and I would look at the slides with the pathologist. I don't have that uh, that credentialing to diagnose it, but I would look at it and say, oh, you know, kind of they were teaching me on the side what it was. Um, I would help with surgical pathology. So any specimen that came out of the operating room or endoscopy, I would be grossing it and taking sections. And then I would review those slides and write up a you know report what I thought it was. And the pathologist would review it with me and say I was right or wrong. Um, so I, I, that really put me in a role of a pathologist and I felt very comfortable doing it. I loved it. I loved the job and the work. Um, and I uh, that for me was like, this is where I meant to be. And ever since I wanted to be back in pathology. So I went through third and fourth year rotations and I was like, man, I just can't wait to be back in the lab. But I really try to see how pathology applied to all the specialties. Um, so it gave me that exposure and insight into how to you know, become a better pathologist. And I feel like it ties in very well with kind of like your personality and your love of art, right? Like a very, very visual kind of person would thrive in a pathology setting, right? Because it's all visual recognition, et cetera. Oh, yeah. And it, I, it really clicked for me because I started picking up art during COVID, which is when I was doing my fellowship. And I had some more time on my hands to get back into it. And I realized how important that artistic side was. Um, and I, I found a lot of pathologists were artistic as well, whether it was drawing or woodworking or baking, like there were all these different creative outlets. And we're actually working on an article about this right now about pathology and art and creativity. So stay tuned for that. Um, <laughs> But it is, it's a common theme that is seen in the specialty. And it has helped me with pattern recognition and seeing the different details that you need to pick up on that no one else can see. You know, we see pink blobs, but pathologists can see those little nuclei and the way that the chromatin is folding, the coloration or the arrangement of cells that 
are really important to cancer diagnosis. And there's a difference between type one and type two, and someone needs to be able to make that call. Um, so that uh, having an artistic viewpoint does help tremendously. Definitely, definitely. So um, I love that whole journey for you with pathology. And I feel like we could talk about pathology even more, but I would love to dive into the home buying process because I think that it would be super helpful for listeners as we talk about home loan processes, you know, conventional loans versus physician loans. And that's something that you have firsthand experience with because you just closed on your home not too long ago. So just kind of start off by walking me through what the home buying process was like in general, how you navigated it, and then we'll tackle some specifics. And then next week, we'll talk about some listener questions. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So the home buying process for us, I'm I'm married, so it started quite early. We knew that we wanted to um, have equity. Um, So equity is, you know, it's a financial health that you want to have, and it's a long-term financial uh, wealth that you establish and you kind of pour into it rather than just throwing away money at rent. And so we rented for almost a decade since college and decided, you know what, we don't want to throw our money away, um, quote unquote, because we wanted to have something that was truly ours and owned it. Uh, So we decided from the get-go, as soon as we found out where we matched for residency, we would start looking for a house. So of course we were looking at Zillow and all these different, you know, our top three picks, like, oh, we could end up here or there. And we're looking at kind of pricing early on, how much, you know, what size home do we need? What are our needs and necessities and non-negotiables? Uh, so for us going in, we knew we wanted a home. We didn't know if it was going to be a condo or a town home or, you know, a big house. We had no idea. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And then the match happened and we, you know, let it, uh, gave it a few days over the weekend. And then starting Monday, we started calling up, um, you know, family in the area who had, you know, a good realtor that they recommended and just started by word of mouth, figure out who do we contact. And that's kind of how it spiraled from there. And so we met with the realtor and, you know, they, we said we're a first time home buyer and you want to find someone who is experienced with working with first time home buyers because, you know, you don't have the equity, you don't have the huge cash down payment that other people have from downsizing or upgrading. Um, you know, they, there are a lot of unknowns, things that you're still learning. The jargon is very difficult to pick up on. The process is very long and tedious. And so you want someone who's patient with you throughout that entire process. So our realtor, she was amazing and um, she worked with us and she taught us so much. She was always available by text or call. Hey, what does this mean? What does this mean? Because a lot of things come up with the home buying process and you're like, that's weird. Definitely. So we went from there. We looked at homes and, you know, we realized we couldn't really compete with the market. It was a very difficult season. I think it still is um, that where house prices have gone up exponentially. Interest rates have gone up. And you're just facing an uphill battle as a first-time home buyer. And then you look at the loan options, physician versus conventional, the interest rates, you know, and then we eventually met with a loan officer, talked about, you know, which one would be best for us based on my husband's job and my income. And we decided to settle on a conventional home loan, which we can talk about later. And with that, we kind of knew what we were financed for and we kind of had an idea of a budget. So that helped us file down, you know, the budget helped us pick out what kind of homes we could afford. Then we spent weeks, uh, you know, days and days looking at houses and open houses and touring places, putting bids in left and right, putting in offer letters. Um, and eventually 
it kind of worked out. You know, we lost some bids um, we couldn't compete with. Um, we were devastated because there were some homes we absolutely loved and it was perfect. But we found a condo at the end of the day um, that fit everything we needed, was in a good location um, in proximity to the hospital. And we put a bid in and it was accepted. Nice. So that's, that was our whole process. Um, it was very disappointing at times. We were very discouraged. And we thought, well, we're going to have to rent because we can't get a house. And our realtor said it could take, you know, six months to a year. And we're like, gee, we want something in a few months. And so we just, you know, we were just very aggressive. We just never gave up. We were persistent. And I think that at the end of the day kept us going and we got what we wanted at the end of the day. Yeah. And I, I mean, we could tackle all of what you just said. So going through it a little bit, you talked about equity. Um, equity is something in case listeners aren't aware of. Equity is when you buy a home that maybe, you know, it needs a couple of fixings and you put money into the home in effort to make it so that that home is now worth more than you bought it for. So you have some equity in it. And that is hard to do with physician loans. So Meredith, I don't know if you if you know about the physician loan four-point inspection that is required. A lot of that is hard to get on a house that needs fixing. And then, so after equity, you know, you talked about you talked about going through Zillow and then finding a real estate agent. And this was something that I really struggled with when I thought that I wanted to buy, in addition to the time crunch, which you also mentioned, which is really freaking stressful. So you only have, you know, you graduate or you get your contract on March 17th or March 25th or something like that. And then you want to buy a house by June. Like that seems like a long time, but it's actually not a long time in the real estate world at all. That is very fast turnaround. Um, and especially because closing can take a whole month itself. So finding yourself, like you said, a really, really good experienced real estate agent who is in your corner, knows the lingo, can educate you and is kind of like a go-getter because they have to be motivated as well. That was something that I learned really quickly because I was looking on Zillow myself. I had a real estate agent that was very lackadaisical. And so he would just be like, whatever you see on Zillow, like, just let me know if you want to go see it. I'm like, well, isn't it your job like, yeah. to tell me what I should look at based on like my preferences that we actually never even formally discuss? Oh. Like just red flags, just red flags all around. So after that, I got myself a really good real estate agent and he was very knowledgeable and he sat me down and gave me an entire hour long spiel about the physician loan and how it works and what's realistic, what's unrealistic for me personally. And after that was when I decided, hey, I'm probably just going to rent because I couldn't deal with the stress because it's so stressful. Yes, they do say, because I happened to get married around the same time we closed and everyone said, wow, like, you know, you must be under a lot of stress. And I thought, okay, what's the most stressful thing? And I did a poll on my Instagram because I was really curious because they say buying a home is most stressful. Planning a wedding is stressful. Graduate school is stressful. And so I'm like, I'm doing all three. Okay. (laughs) All stressful, but you juggle it, right? And um, I said, at the end of the day, I think buying a home is most stressful and exhausting because there are so many unknowns and there's so many pieces that are constantly moving and you're waiting for things to fall into place and you have no control over it. Um, And that is what makes it stressful. It's the unknowing and 
is it going to come together? Um, so that I agree. It was very stressful. Um, and I'm sorry that you had such a bad experience at the beginning. And if you decide to buy, I hope, you know, you, you get the right agent who will, you know, get the house you want. Definitely. I think that it'll work out maybe next year. And with, you know, you were talking about throwing away money. I bet that the market is a lot different in Michigan than it is in Florida. And so for me, I had this really impactful conversation with my mom where I was kind of under the same situation. I was like, I don't want to throw away $28,000 of rent money this year because that's what it would be. It would be about twenty dollars to $28,000. And that seems like a lot of money when you're thinking about it. But I told that to my mom and she's very involved in real estate. Um, she has several properties and she was like, you know, Michael, you'll probably – be throwing away a lot more than that if you decide to buy right now. Oh yeah. Because of because of the way that like everything is so high priced here that in 5 years you're going to be losing $50,000, not just 28. So you might as well just wait a year, see what happens and get a little bit more settled in. And so I very quickly found um like a cheap apartment that somebody was privately leasing. I don't have to deal with apartment fees and all of that. Yes. And it's five minutes from the hospital. So it it, it all works out no matter what. Um, And I cannot explain the relief that I felt once I was like, I'm not going to buy, I'm just going to rent. And then I found something and it was done. I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this is it. Like, I don't have to worry about it anymore. So yeah. I, I think there's a huge relief with renting and I, I think it's really a smart move depending the area you live in and the market it's in. You know, everyone says you can wait another year, maybe things will go down. And, you know, you ask anybody, they have no way of predicting. You know, there's right. maybe the house house prices might go down, but interest rates might go up. And you're like, right. Great, you can't win. Um, so you kind of decide what if you just want to have a place figure, you know, situated have something close to the hospital while you learn your way around the area. I think that's completely reasonable and something you should look at. Definitely. Yeah. And just like you said, you know, I am such a logical person. Like if something's stressing me out, I just look up everything about it. I have to know everything. And so (laughs) I'm on the internet for like two weeks while I'm trying to figure out, should I buy, should I rent? I made uh, spreadsheets. I looked up like all of these blogs of financial investors and what they thought was going to happen in the market. And at the end of the day, I did not feel any better after I did that. No better. And honestly, I've had to sit down and realize, you know, they probably don't know what they're talking about either. Like they're all just speculating as well. So this is literally just wasting energy and time. Yes, the rabbit hole and even Reddit, the Reddit rabbit hole is what it's called. Um, You can really freak yourself out by trying to solve it. And that's where we, you know, we would read up on things and at the end we're like, we're just going to let it play, you know, run the course. We're going to let it do its thing. And people say, if you find the right house and it's meant to be, it will work out. And I truly believe that's what happens. And we were trying to force a house. We wanted this house so bad. We wrote a letter to a very mushy gushy letter to the couple who was selling it. You know, please let us live in your home. We would take good care of it. And, you know, of course that doesn't work. We tried, you know, and it just wasn't meant to be. And we were very disappointed. But this next condo we saw, we're like, there were no offers on it. It was on the market for a few days. We're like, we got to just put the offer in. This is what we like. We just got to get over with. We don't want to keep where we were done house shopping. We're like, this was so, 
you know, it was so hard driving up out of work to get to the, you know, open house to tour and all this time and money we were investing. We're like, you know, we just want to put an offer in and be done. And at the end, that's kind of how it played out and it worked out fine. So you mentioned before that you chose conventional loan. Why did you choose a conventional loan over a physician's loan? Like you said that it was because of your, your spouse's income. Um, but did you explore the physician loan as well? Yeah, we did. And to be honest, my husband handled a lot of that because um, I was finishing up med school and I was helping with like the wedding planning. So essentially, we looked at both. Um, we you know, gave my offer letter to the loan officer. We looked at our credit scores, which were comparable. Um, and that's also another thing. Have a good credit score. Do not open a new credit card or buy, make a huge purchase around the time you buy a home. Um, so we both were fine. But what bothered us most was with physician loan, yeah, there was 0% down, but the interest rate fluctuates. And we did not want that uncertainty of fluctuation of interest rate because it could go any, you know, anywhere. Right. So we decided to do conventional um, because you know, we still qualified for about the same amount combined, but we had a fixed interest rate and we locked that in and we knew for sure we're only going to have this percentage. We don't have to worry about setting extra side of money aside. We don't have to worry about the chain, the you know prices changing. So that's what led us to decide with the conventional loan. And we felt better with that amount of certainty. Yeah, definitely. So just for the listeners, in case they, they want to know kind of the difference between conventional versus physicians, conventional is like, you know, anybody can, can go and get a conventional loan, but physicians, p- particularly either MD, DO, DDS, I think DPT as well, nurse practitioners. Um, I'm not sure if PAs can, can get it. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it doesn't matter anyway. So it's $0 down, which is amazing. Um, your credit score has to be like around 720 or above, ideally, um, you can take out as many as you want in your lifetime within 10 years of graduating residency, but they can only be taken out one at a time. So say I take one out right now, I leave residency in five years, I decide to sell that house. After residency, I once that house is sold, so that loan has closed, I can take out an additional physician's mortgage as an attending. Um, and I can have that for as long or as little as I want. Um, So they can just be taken out separately. Most of them, like Meredith mentioned, are adjustable rate mortgages. So when you're looking at a mortgage, there's options for fixed rate mortgages, meaning like hers, where the rate does not change ever. That's your rate for 30 years and it's never going to change, which is really nice. That's what everyone should be looking for. Most physician loans are what are called ARMS, ARMs, which are adjustable rate mortgages. And they can be either 3-1 ARMS, 7-1 ARMS, or 10-1 ARMS. That just means that it's going to be a fixed rate for, if it's a 7-1 ARM, it'll be a fixed rate for seven years. And then after those seven years, it changes to an adjustable rate mortgage. What is probably what was going through your head, Meredith, and for like, if I'm wrong, correct me, but you're from Michigan, so you probably think, you know, you're going to have this house for longer than three or seven years. And so, you know, that makes sense for you to go ahead and do the conventional, have it locked in, fixed rate. You never have to worry about being an adjustable. For me, I didn't know if I wanted to stay in Gainesville long term after fellowship. And so a 7-1 arm would have been perfect for me because I could have done my five years sold the house. I never even got to those seven years. And so I could just sell it, move on. Another option 
say I did want to stay in Gainesville long term and I want to raise a family there and everything like that, I can actually refinance that physician's loan under a different loan company. So I can actually take that physician's mortgage and convert it to a conventional mortgage by refinancing it. And then I can take out an additional physician's mortgage. Um, Something else that is really important to mention is that these physician loans have to be your primary residence. So if Meredith decides next year she wants to buy a different house and live in that house and rent this condo to a family that that wants to pay her to live there, then she can do that. Um, You cannot do that with a physician's mortgage. It has to be your primary residence. Did I summarize that pretty well? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that. Absolutely. Cool. Um, And then the other thing that is applicable to both conventional and physician's loans is that the interest rate um, and the amount of the loan itself is based on your debt to income ratio. And so everybody's is going to be different. But say if you had a lot of debt from undergrad or a master's program or something like that, in addition to your med school debt, that will make your your amount smaller that you'll be able to take out or it'll make your interest rate higher. On average, most physician loans interest rates are lower than conventional loans, uh, but it's all just kind of like a juggling act. You kind of have to find the right fit for you. Definitely. And that um, ratio you're talking about was really important because when my we were getting married at the same time we were buying a house and we like had to lay out all of our financial information. How much do you have in this account, in this account? And they did not include, um, so they want to see like a total gross income. How much money do you have in reserve and savings? Student loans do not count for that. And they will look through your right. statements and they will see, okay, you have this set amount. You can't count that towards your total. You cannot use that towards your earnest money. You, know, you can't, like they wouldn't count it when they're figuring out how much you qualified for for a loan. So that's important to remember, like keep your bank, bank account separate if you have a loan account and then your savings account so they can go through and check, okay, this is, you know, actually earned money. Um, they counted property. They counted loans from cars, car loans if you have, um, you know, student loans. Those were, you know, seen as negative. I mean, not negatives, but how much debt you had. And you had to, you know, lay it all out. And they would look through it and say, okay, you qualify for this much or you don't. And um, so keep track of what you have in assets and what you have in debt. And if you know that you want to buy, say like, um, I really thought that I wanted to buy, but obviously that changed. If you really think that you want to buy while you're looking at residency programs and interviewing and doing your rank list, look at Zillow a little bit. Find out kind of what the average home cost is for that area. That was something that I did a lot. And honestly, it made me very torn because prices in Gainesville are very, very high. Like the the... The inventory is low. The prices are high. People stay for a really, really long time. There's not a ton of turnover in, in terms of homeowners. And then I was also really torn between Jacksonville, which is a very upcoming city. Prices are so, so, so cheap. The only caveat to that is that they require the four-point inspection for the physician home loan, which like I mentioned before, it's very hard to get you know, an older home to pass that four-point inspection because it covers so much ground and everything has to has to be in place. And that's really actually smart that the physician loan people do that because they want to make sure that if they give you all this money for a home, it's not going to burn to the ground because the electrical is faulty. So, I mean, it all makes sense. And when you're looking through homes, you know, 
everyone has their idea of a dream home, but you know, sometimes you have to reduce your expectations. And I, I found that was like, you know, if we want a certain aspect, like we wanted acreage, well, you know, over an acre of land was really expensive in the area and we couldn't really find it. And we're like, well, we don't really qualify for that. And we'd have to build a house and we'd have, you know, like construction's insane. And we're like, well, we're not going to get, we're not going to build a house. Okay. You know, that's fine. Um, you know, we need at least a garage and two bedrooms and two baths because resale value is something to consider, you know, it'd be cute to have a nice little home with two beds and one bathroom, but that doesn't really sell very well. People want more than one bathroom usually. So we had to go with two bed, two bath, for example. Um, and we had to kind of have a set line. Okay. We're not going to buy a house that's older than 50 years old because we saw someone we're like, man, there's a lot of repairs. There's mold issues. There's plumbing issues. We're like, no, we don't, we don't have the funds to fix this. Um, and so we had to, you know, kind of take that off our plate and say, we need something that's, you know, within 20 or 30 years old. And that was really hard. That's a very small, you know, filter to have on uh, finding homes. So keep that in mind as well. Definitely. It is like a matchmaking process. And, um, I love all those matchmaking shows on Netflix. You know, they have Indian matchmaking. I don't know if anyone else has noticed, but there's this new Jewish matchmaking show and I'm all over it. I just watched an episode before we started recording, but, um, buy, yeah, definitely check it out. Um, but like buying a home is kind of like matchmaking, right? Like you, there's all these fish in the sea, but you have your non-negotiables, you know, your non-negotiables were the, the bathrooms and the age of the home, things that would have been nice, you know, like, uh, like uh, it would be nice if it had acreage. It would be nice if it had, you know, new appliances. Do we need new appliances? Probably not. Things like that, that you can kind of like make a list on, make a spreadsheet with your partner. If you're going in with a partner or make it solo, ask other people, ask people, who have just bought homes, ask people who have ever bought a home and kind of gather your resources to make an educated decision. Definitely. And when you have that first, you should have a meeting with your real estate agent off the get go. And ours had a a sheet, like a worksheet. And they're like, what do you need? What do you want? And we're like, well, we want this, this, and this. And they're like, what happens if you don't get that? what can you negotiate on? And we're like, well, I guess we can negotiate on the acreage. We can have a smaller plot. That's fine. Um, you know, we set the price point and then what they should do, which, you know, I don't, it sounds like your first agent guy didn't do this, but they should send you listings. Um, they have access to a portal where they can see upcoming listings and they send that to you before it goes on the market. And so we would, yes, yes. Notifications every, like throughout all hours of the day. And we're always looking at the stuff on, um, it was Remax that we used and they would, it would say it had what we wanted and somewhere a little bit too far away from the hospital. We said, well, we want at least a 30 minute drive, um, which is reasonable if you're in residency, you need to be within that distance. Um, and we're like, well, this one's too far away. It has everything we want, but it's really far drive and that's not going to work. Um, it was really sad because we really thought they were pretty houses. Um, so those were some <laughs> things we're like, well, we can't negotiate on distance. We can't negotiate on price, you know, like this is kind of where we're at. And it took a couple weeks for that to finally come through. And then one finally came up. Um, so it, it's, you're eventually probably gonna get a house that comes on the market well into your search and it might not be on the market yet, but it will. Yeah. The real estate agent will change your game. Like that is something I would tell every single person, go out, get yourself a really good real estate agent who will actually send you listings before they even come on the market, let you know, 
hey, I think that this is a good option for you, or no way you want to stay away from this one because of X, Y, and Z. I know that listing, or I know I know that area. Stay away from that. Um, and then you, yes. you mentioned, you know, like you have to be a certain distance from the hospital. And that that is really important. You know, like it would be ideal to be within 30 minutes of the hospital. Um, but knowing if your residency program is call versus night float is really important in that situation because say, say it's a, a home call kind of system, you need to actually be probably within 15 minutes of the hospital. That is actually realistic. You cannot be more than 30 minutes away. But if it's a night float system, you could theoretically have a house 45 minutes away from the hospital because you know that you're never going to get called in from your home. Absolutely. And with pathology, which is kind of nice, you know, we we take call, but it's light call. It's on the phone at home. And rarely is an autopsy so nice. urgent. Rarely is a frozen section going to come in in the middle of the night because surgery ends at, you know, like you would usually know in advance. So just know your specialty and ask your programs when you interview, you know, what is the schedule like? Are you work come getting called in? What's the call schedule? Because that helps inform me. Okay. I know, you know, 99% chance I'm not going to get called in in the middle of the night. So, you know, we're not pathologists never use calls. Yeah. We're, we're never sleeping at the hospital. So like I knew I could be with it. I could kind of stretch the distance a little bit to get what we wanted. And I, I'd be able to drive in if I needed. Definitely. And um, something else that I that I felt better about not buying this this time around was the very common thing that happens in a lot of really big hospitals where physicians or residents will actually be selling their home kind of privately under the table. Mm. And um, so like you're not going through like a big uh, real estate agency, you know, they'll like literally have posters or flyers on the on the break room kind of bulletin board and have their listing for sale. And, you know, that's the house that they bought coming in, coming into residency and say they're done with residency now. Now it's for sale. And that that for me was like, oh, I didn't realize that people even did that. So maybe next year, instead of me having to go through this whole process again, maybe somebody will just be selling their house. So it's good to to know that and to know, ask your, your programs, you know, when you're at the meet and greets, do you guys rent or do a lot of you guys own? Um, I did not ask that, but um, my program, like, I think it was two weeks ago when everybody was kind of getting all of, it must've been longer longer ago than that because we matched quite a while ago. <laughs> I guess it was like a month or so ago. They sent out a spreadsheet of, hey, these are all of the residents. This is where they live. This is if they rent, if they buy. These are the pros. These are the cons. These are if they're looking to move anytime soon. It was so organized. I was like, these are my people. Like this, this is why I matched yeah. here. <laughs> but having that <laughs> next level. <laughs> oh yeah they said my program and I'm like you know they wouldn't really share that during interviews you know but as soon as it you know you get matched in they send you everything and they had the whole document even like vets they recommend if you have you know cats or dogs or animals um you know safe neighborhoods you need child care who do they go through and you get that more when you get matched in so if you don't find out during your interviews you you will when you match um so yeah that was very helpful to have upperclassmen kind of help help out definitely so 
let's go ahead and wrap this episode up real quick. And then we will talk about, you know, we're going to answer all of you guys' questions. We got a ton of questions through Instagram that we can tackle. Um, So do not miss next week's episode. As always, thanks so much for listening, guys. And thanks again to Dr. Meredith Herman Dio for having all of the knowledge that we all needed to hear on this episode. And make sure that you come back next week for we're going to dive in and answer all of the questions that everyone asked me on Instagram. We got a ton and they were all so good and helpful. So stay tuned for that. And as always, please leave a five-star rating and review. Share this podcast with your friends. And you can visit my website, drdopod.com, for more information, original music by Cologne, and recording and production by yours truly. 